Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Sources podcast, presented by Blue Mark Energy, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to a special edition of the PowerCat Podcast as we bring back the Sources Podcast for an interview our Ryan Wallace conducted this week before he was officially announced as Kansas State's assistant coach with Shane Southwell. And Shane and Ryan and myself and all of us at Go PowerCat go a long way back with Shane Southwell. In fact, we interviewed him on our now defunct TV show, Deep Purple, Shane Howard and I did, when he was just a recruit out of the Bronx who had picked Frank Martin's program at Kansas State. It's great to have Shane back in the fold at Kansas State as an assistant coach, and it was announced today that he would be officially rejoining as everything got cleared. And Wally was able to catch up to Shane before all of that process was completed and talk to him about his coaching career, his playing career, and what led him back to Kansas State. Now I turn it over to Ryan Wallace with Shane Southwell. All right, pleased to be joined today by Shane Southwell, Kansas State hooping legend. Uh, and obviously, Shane, now that this is out, um, the new uh, assistant men's basketball coach with the Wildcats. Before we get into all of that, um, let's start first. Update us on your status, you know, with this whole uh, COVID-19 crisis. You know, how you how you holding up, how the family and friends. I know it's, you know, New York City, the hardest-hit city in America right now. Yes, uh, thank, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, we go way back, not to sound, uh, like I'm an old fella, but you know, we go <laughs> back to, to my playing days. Um, right now, currently, obviously, New York City is going through a lot with the virus. Um, it's definitely a sad time right now throughout not only just New York, but the entire country, the entire world. Um, you know, right now, currently, my, fa- my family is doing well, mother, sister, uh, they're all fine. They're safe right now. Um, I'm still in Pittsburgh. Um, so everybody right now that's close to me is, is doing well, and that's all you can ask for. Well, you mentioned kind of the, the you and I and, and just go PowerCat in general go back, and I was interested to see if you would remember that this isn't actually the first unique interview you've ever done with GPC because, you know, not talking about the TBT last summer. We'll get to that a little bit later, but – uh, do you remember becoming the first ever recruit to make a guest Skype appearance back in the day on Deep Purple, Tim Fitzgerald, and Shane Howard? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember doing it. Uh, I was in my um, my bedroom in Harlem, New York. It, it was <laughs> it was definitely fun. Uh, that brings back the good old days. I think I had short hair um, during that time period as well. So I hope those pictures don't uh, resurface. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in those days, I mean, you were playing for Rice High School, you know, legendary program in New York City. Did you ever imagine that that you'd be coaching the Division One level, especially? You know, in the Big 12 for a program like K-State within just, you know, 10 years or so of doing that interview? 
Um, not in ten years. Uh, I thought uh, at this time I'll probably still be playing um, playing basketball professionally somewhere around the world. Um, but I always had the vision of myself being a, a coach. It was either going to be coaching or commentating. I knew that I was going to stay involved in the game of basketball. That's something I always wanted to do. That's something I always kind of knew that I had in my back pocket and always kind of stayed with relationships uh, to make sure things like that uh, could happen. But never would I have guessed uh, in just 10 short years that would happen. It's amazing. Take me back to your recruitment just for a minute. I mean, you – had offers from you know hometown St. John's, you know Providence, Xavier, uh, I think you know Marquette, I think even South Carolina, which is weird, you know pre Frank Martin, and yet yet you chose the furthest, you know most opposite campus that was on the table. Why? Um, real quick before going into that, uh, you know it was interesting that uh, Mike Boyne was the lead recruiter for me at South Carolina, who's not a head coach at Oklahoma State. So it's amazing to see how his career has just taken a has skyrocketed in such short time as well. Um, but like you said, I would have met Frank regardless <laughs> if I would have decided I was, uh, there was no escape from uh, Coach Martin. Um, but you know, Coach Martin did a great job. Coach Martin and Delonte Hill did a great job of recruiting me. Um, they they stayed in there. They they made me a priority. Uh, and also, you know, just having a bunch of New York guys on the roster. And it being a family atmosphere, guys like Jordan Enriquez Roberts, Curtis Kelly, uh, Devon Peterson was assigned on, uh, as a, as a Juco player. He's also from New York. So it was definitely a family environment and it's something that I really, really looked for in the recruiting process. And, um, then the rest is history. Maybe those guys helped you, you know, transition, but how long would you say it truly took for you to fall in love with K-State once you were in Manhattan? I mean, were there ever moments where you thought, man, I got to get out of here? Or, you know, were there were there any moments that stick out to you of that light bulb moment where you said, and this is why I came here and, and I, now I know I made the right choice? Um, I always enjoyed Manhattan. Um, it definitely was some moments where I was homesick. Uh, I will be lying to you to say that, that that wasn't the case. It was definitely a culture shock. Being from Harlem, New York, and being in New York City, it was, it's interesting. It's funny, you know, first time me ever seeing stars in the sky was me going to Manhattan, Kansas, because you know, in the city, you don't get to, you don't get, you don't have the ability to see stars because of the, the lights and the, the, all the different avenues and things like that. Um, but on the flip side, you know, it took me maybe a few months um, to get adjusted and just kind of locked in and focused on being a student athlete and having fun and. Uh, with my teammates and just the whole campus. Uh, that's around the start, the time when I kind of, uh, started becoming a better player and started to become a starter on the, on the, on a really good team that year, on that 2010, 2011 team. And that was my freshman year. So right, right about that time period, maybe I'll say about December, January, I got adjusted. Do you have a favorite playing memory from, you know, you're on the roster 2010 to 2014. And you're also, pretty cool trivia fact here, you're also one of very few players, I don't know the number off the top of my head, in program history to have ever been to the NCAA tournament every single season you played. So is there one lasting memory that stands out for you? Um, wow, thank you. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, definitely just winning the Big 12 championship. You know, we before we won the Big 12 championship, we haven't won a conference title since 1977. Um, so for our our team, our coaching staff to 
to be a part of something so special for the city of Manhattan, the Kansas State program. Um, that's something that comes to mind first, just winning the championship. Winning is everything for me. Um, so the 2013 Big 12 championship year or the run, that's probably something that kicks out, that sticks out to me the most. So your career ends at K-State, and you go on to play pro ball, Mexico, Australia, and Switzerland. Tell us more about that experience, you know, with you uh, internationally, and, and did you have, have a, maybe a favorite of those three places that you got to play? Um, you know, I, I necessarily didn't have a favorite. Uh, I was lucky enough. Uh, a lot of people are not blessed enough to be in cities or countries where it's ideal. You know, playing in Mexico, uh, I was, my team was based in, uh, in Cancun, so I was pretty lucky to be my first year out, straight out of college, and experience essentially spring break my entire uh, rookie year. Uh, then going to Australia, and Australia is another beautiful country, uh, and, you know, it's easy to, to relate and translate because of the language barrier. There wasn't no language barrier. Uh, and then going to Switzerland, Switzerland is absolutely beautiful, and everybody that's been to Switzerland knows that. So it's hard to pick a favorite, per se. Um, you know, playing playing the game, probably Switzerland, and it was my last spot, so probably Switzerland is something that jumps out to me um, right now. I, I can only imagine, and we won't we won't get into it because this is free and that's for you know bar talk. But I can only imagine twenty one, twenty two, twenty three year old Shane Southwell, Cancun, Australia, and the Swiss Alps. I'm sure there are some very good stories out there. But uh, again, that's for another time. You're, I think, I want to say you were about twenty five when you came back to K State to be a GA. Well, how did that process kind of come about, and and why take a break from pro ball to come back and kind of start this coaching journey? It's it's, an, it's a very amazing story. Uh, you know, I was it was probably around March uh, while I was in Switzerland, and I was having probably my best yeah I was having my best year as a pro. Um, and Coach Weber uh, reached out to me and was just like, you know, I'm gonna have a a spot open on my staff. Uh, he didn't necessarily say GA at first, so that's on him, <laughs> and he kind of got it <laughs> Not that there's nothing wrong with G, uh, being a GA. Obviously, I grow, I've grown a lot in that process, but, uh, you know, at first I, 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 I declined the offer, and, uh, because I was having such a great season, and, and I knew that playing the game, um, I still had a, a, a future in it. Uh, but then, you know, talking to my mother, and my mother was like, this is what you want to do. I think this could be a beautiful opportunity for, for you. Uh, I thought about it, uh, gave myself about a week or two, and then I, I, I hit up coach and just said, you know, uh, let's think about it. Let's kind of get going with this, and, you know, the rest is history. How challenging is life as a graduate assistant? Because, I mean, I, I think I have an idea. Maybe some other fans out there have an idea. Maybe others don't. But, I mean, physically, mentally, and financially, just from stories that I've always heard, it can be, you know, demanding and stressful, just trying to kind of get your foot in the door. So, uh, again, how challenging is that kind of lifestyle for you, especially coming from, you know, playing professional ball in the three countries that you mentioned? Yes, it, it's definitely challenging. It's, it's arguably the most challenged time period of my life that I've ever had. You know, the biggest one is for me personally was just um, the humbling process, you know, uh, playing overseas, making good money, and then uh, coming back and <laughs> being, not being able to be financially stable at all, uh, making uh, little to no money, 
uh, and then also dealing with school. And so that was a big step for me to get back adjusted to being a student once again. And with that being said, I didn't even mention the basketball aspect of learning uh, the game and learning it from a different point of view and scout reports, film breakdown, all those different av- player development, all those different avenues uh, to, to, can take a toll on your, your body, your mind, uh, just everything, your overall well-being. Uh, but when you go through it, you just come out a better man, uh, a better coach, a better person. And then I wouldn't trade that experience for the world because once I got out of that, once I graduated, and once we had the success that we had, there was no stopping me at that point. I knew I can be, I can do anything. Now you're kind of, I mean, you're a hoops junkie in general, and from what I remember during your playing days, I think you were kind of, uh, you were into film. You know, you're into watching stuff and breaking stuff down. But you mentioned the player development there that you kind of got to go through as a GA. Were there any players? During those two to three seasons as a GA, that you found yourself maybe working with most, you know, players maybe that you took under your wing a little bit, tried to show the ropes. Um, I worked with our whole our whole squad, especially in the Elite Eight and our Big Twelve year, Big Twelve championship year, uh, from Dean to X to to Kamal Stokes to Cartier, Mike McGurl, those are guys that, you know, even Nigel Shad uh, came out and worked really, really hard and always kind of wanted me to work them out and pick my brain. But the guy that really, really jumps out is Barry Brown. Um, people don't even know half our story of just, like, he made me a better coach, a better man, and a better uh, student of the game because that kid literally wanted to work every single day at all times during the day and as a GA you cannot say no and I said I didn't have a family I don't have a family so I couldn't say hey I'm busy taking my son or daughter to the you know I couldn't do do any of that you know what I mean um so you know we would be up at seven in the morning six thirty in the morning every day uh working on his game and you know for me personally like I took a, a pleasure into it after you know we started working really, really hard, and to see him translated to the game, it was almost like a different kind of feeling from just playing the game of basketball for me. When I was seeing his improvement, um, it was just like, oh, man, I, I might be really, really, really good at this, and I might really, really love this this part of the game. So it was really, really special to see Barry Brown uh, make those improvements, and, and, and that's my guy. That's my brother, man, for life. Now, like you said, I mean, Barry's work ethic speaks for itself, and that that obviously trumps, you know, anything else that, that was kind of taught to him is just the fact that he was in there doing it over and over. But but was there a small piece of Shane Southwell coaching that you could say, you know, yeah, I, I might have helped Barry most in that area? Was there an area that you felt like maybe you rubbed off on him most? Um, you know what's funny about that? We still talk about it, and I, I try to take credit for all of it, but I, I'd be lying, obviously. Um, but something that was really, really key for me when watching him play, and I watched a ton, a ton of film on him before I, I became a GI. I just wanted to be as ready as possible, all the guys. Um, and, you know, with him, he always was able to, to get to the rim. He was from high school to college in his first two years. That was something that – that, that I didn't need to help him on. His ability to break people down and get to the rim uh, was top-notch, uh, even as a freshman and sophomore. But I felt that he missed too many bunnies, as we say in the basketball community, too many or too many layups, too many uh, easy opportunities. 
So for me personally, you know, I just told him, man, you average nine points right now. We can easily average 17 by just making two or three more layups or two or three more floaters. So then for me personally with him, it was just uh, really, really honing in on to his skill set as a, as a layup maker and as a finisher at the rim. And, you know, those are things like, you know, even when the, after the Kentucky game, there's pictures of us. Like, you know, jumping down with each other and smiling and we're talking about the layup because, you know, that's something we really, really worked on. Barry moves on, you know, a year ago now uh, with Dean and Cam and all those guys. And you're about to be in Greece, you know, this time a year ago, you know, give or take a couple weeks or months. Uh, the only guy that Bruce Weber brought from K-State with him, was that kind of a a hint of what was to come? Because, I mean, clearly Coach saw something in you to have you tag along for that experience. You know, Ryan, what's funny about that is that I, you know, <laughs> I told him he was tagging along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but honestly, you know, the, the, it was amazing, like a special experience. Even when he just asked me, you know, the first time he brought it up to me, he never even, like, he never really asked me, like, hey, do you want to go? So I kind of just thought that he was just talking about the experience, and I was congratulating him and not necessarily understanding that, oh, I'm glad to be a part of this. So then the next time we talked about it, and he was like, and then he really made it more evident to me that I'm really going to be a part of Team USA, and it was just like such a surreal feeling, like, to be a part of USA basketball, to, to have that across your chest, to have that on your resume is special. I couldn't ask for anything more after that, man. I, I, yeah, like you said, obviously, uh, it was something kind of a uh, future teller. Um, you know, for me and him, it was, he gave me that opportunity, and I knew him, obviously, the best out of everybody there. And it kind of, like, really spread my wings and let me be the guy that I am and be the coach that I am. And it really, really helped me for not only just the USA experience, but even the Robert Morris experience. Yeah, I mean, you were labeled the video coordinator on that trip, and, and, I mean, you were surrounded by a hell of a staff. Talk about your responsibilities that you had during that trip and the learning experience it was being around not just Coach Weber but, but those other two guys as well. Man, I learned so much from Coach Hopkins and Coach Moore, and, uh, like, and just not only just learning about just uh, the X's and O's and things of that nature, but just the personality that you have to have to be a successful head coach. Um, and just to learn a little bit about their families, to meet their families, and they, and they did different stories. You know, I remember one time we we had a staff uh, dinner, and everybody went around the room to tell their stories, and I necessarily didn't have a coaching story per se yet, but just to listen to those guys and from Coach Behind and then to hear uh, Coach Moulton ride to the game was just unbelievable. And then uh, for me personally, yes, I had to deal with the, the whole video coordinating a role, and I had to learn how to be a video coordinator uh, in a month, <laughs> and uh, that was very challenging. But you know, I was essentially like I like my role is uh, for Kansas State and Robin Mars was just to be a bridge uh, for the players uh, to the coaching staff, and, and and really really hone in on helping them um, enjoy this experience, and it worked out for the best, man. So you get back home, and you actually you have a chance to represent K-State on the floor one more time, and, and I alluded to it earlier. You were in Wichita, part of Purple and Black Squad, and, and I was there. And i got to be honest, man, it sure seemed like you found more passion drawing up plays and timeouts 
um, maybe than even being part of that wire-to-wire finish. Would you agree with that? 100%. And, you know, shout-out to Bill Russell, man. After the game, I joked with the guys and said, that man is a genius. The ability, because for me personally, in that experience, in that moment, um, like in the first half when I got on the court, I couldn't think about playing the game necessarily in the right way that I'm used to playing. You know, I used to play with so much passion and exuberance and things of that nature. I couldn't necessarily get in that mode playing because I was so focused on the coaching aspect of what's the next play, who should be the next sub, um, time management, things of that nature, time out, reading everything on the court. And being on the court was so hard. So, you know, in the second half, I really – didn't go back in the game until that latter end, and that was just simply so us to go small and have that ability to switch and, and press and things of that nature. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely enjoyed uh, that process of uh, drawing up plays and things of that nature. I was lucky enough to do it the year before in the TBT, and then, you know, Coach Weber and the whole staff at Kansas State always, like, pushed me to be that and always allowed me to have that space even as a GA, uh, which is rare and which is special, and that's the reason why I'm here today. And I was kind of doing it as a GA, uh, so and even in USA basketball. So at that point, I was kind of seasoned. I just didn't necessarily know how to deal with being a player coach more than anything. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. You know, guys like Coach Weber, Coach Lowry, and with all their experience yes. that are encouraging. You know, of you to go ahead and, and do your thing, and they'll they'll take a step back. That's that's, that says a lot about them as, as men as well as coaches. Stay locked in. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. I'm Tim Fitzgerald, and welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Subscribe to the Life of Fitz podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And it's not like I can make you. I'm locked up in my house. You get back from what saw you. You get a promotion from Coach Weber, Director of Student Athlete Development, and then... Robert Morris comes in the picture. How on earth does Robert Morris basketball know Shane Southwell? How is that connection even made? Um, just, just through the, the, the culture of basketball and I guess word of mouth, uh, uh, Coach Tool um, called me when I was actually in Colorado Springs during minicamp, um, and we started to build a relationship uh, during that process. And, um you know, my sister also worked at Robert Morris while Andy too was an assistant under Mike Rice. Uh, so we were kind of familiar with each other. Uh, and, you know, that just came about, I think, through, through word of mouth with a lot of other people that called me because of what I did with USA Basketball and the success that we had at Kansas State. Um, but, you know, you know, Robert Morris and Andy Tool just jumped out to me because it was closer to home. I know how great Andy is in terms of not only X and O's, but just 
the brilliant mind that he is and that he that a lot of coaches know him for. So me, it was like, oh my God, it was like, <laughs> like a, a home run for me personally. You know what I mean? Especially in the Northeast area. You know, in the Midwest, we, we don't necessarily know what Robert Morris brings to the table, but in the Northeast, Robert Morris at that uh, low major, mid major uh, school is very, very well known and very well, 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 yeah, well respected. Uh, so it, for me, it was something that I had to jump, jump to in, and I was so excited to be a part of it. So conversation telling that to Coach Weber, was that difficult? You know, did he take it easy? I would assume that, you know, in his mind, it's, it's just business, you know? Um, you know, obviously when it first, uh, came about, I was definitely nervous. Uh, <laughs> Coach Weber's like a mentor to me, and, you know, I didn't want to seem like I was leaving him. Um, but then literally five minutes after that door process, I was, I knew that Coach would be happy for me. And he knew that, uh, I knew that he would know that it's something I had to do. And, uh, he was, he was <laughs> kind of more excited and ready for me to like, uh, like get, get ready into that business and to get ready in the recruiting aspect and get into the assistant coaches world. Uh, he was, I, I, I honestly thought like, man, maybe close don't like me. He just won here. But no, I know how he feels about me and, and um, he was very, very, ecstatic about the experience. From now, you you ended up having a tremendous year in Pittsburgh, uh, played in a brand-new arena. I looked it up. You know, 4,000 seats or not, spectacular venue, uh, winning the Northeast Conference. Fans stormed the court. Uh, obviously, you had to be crushed by, you know, the news of the NCAA tournament obviously getting shut down and, and not having a chance to kind of see what that team could do. But, just overall, your first year as a full-time assistant, was there anything that caught you off guard, anything you, you didn't expect or weren't prepared for? Um, caught me off guard was the, you know, with the non-conference. Uh, you know, being in a high major Power 5 uh, university, you don't experience a non-conference in the same way you do being at a Robert Morris. Uh, you know, because you, a lot of those games in the non-conference is on the road. Um, obviously against teams that's maybe well, more well well put together and gelled together quicker than you are. Um, and just honestly just have a little bit more talent, more size, especially when you're playing them in November and December. So for me personally in the non-conference, uh, that was definitely something that I had to get adjusted to, but also still have the mindset and understand that when we get into conference, this is only going to help us. And when we get into conference play, we should be one of the, the better teams in conference because we, we we held our own in some really, really big games against some good teams. Um, Pittsburgh, we held our own, uh, well, we held our own uh, playing against Pittsburgh uh, on ESPNU to open up the arena like you, you spoke about, which is a beautiful arena. Um, we played well against Pittsburgh, like I said. Played really, really well against Marquette, at Marquette, and then played really well against UNLV. So those, that gave our guys a lot of confidence going into the conference play and then the rest is history. How soon after the whole news of, of Coach Corn leaving to taking uh, the SEMO job would you say you heard from, from K-State? I'm, I mean, I'd imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining, you know, with the year you guys had at Robert Morris, you're thinking, okay, I can get used to this, you know, get my feet wet here for a couple years. Um, and then K-State comes calling. So who, who was it that reached out and – 
you know, did did it take long for you to make a decision? <laughs> um, Coach Weber obviously reached out, um, and it was pretty pretty quick, especially you know with the whole news with Brad. And um, I, first of all, big congratulations to Brad Corn. That was somebody I looked looked up to. You know what I mean? Not only just as a, from a coach, from from our playing days. You know, Brad was a, a, a Director of basketball operation on our Big 12 championship team in 2013. So, so I'm so happy for Brad and his family. He's gonna be great. He's gonna be a star. Uh, that's first of all. But um, yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, Coach Weber called me and just talked to me about the position, how I felt about it, and you know, it was a no-brainer for me personally. Um, it was hard for me to leave Robert Morris, but because of the great year we had and the momentum we were building um, going into the tournament, but you know, to be a part of Kansas State and back at my alma mater, it was a no-brainer. Your career as a coach is a young one. We all know that. But uh, how did playing under Frank Martin help prepare you for coaching? How did playing under Bruce Weber help prepare you for coaching? That is a great question. I never really thought about that. You know, it's funny. I, I use a lot of their, you know, quotes. <laughs> and uh, coaching style and my coaching style is just natural because that's what I know. Um, you know, Frank definitely, obviously, being a, a stern coach and being a guy that's able to motivate, uh, that's something that I that I take in my coaching style and something that I like as a player from Frank Martin. And that's something that I, you know, definitely cherish from him and, and I put into my uh, coaching ability and my coaching hat. And then just from Bruce, obviously everything that I learned from Bruce over these last two years is too much to even talk about and it's too much that I'm, it's so much more that I'm going to learn even in this time period that I, I can't even hone in on one particular thing. You know, probably now that I think about it, uh, probably just, you know, you've been to one of Coach Weber practices. He's always, he always has a daily quote or uh, similar to like a quote of the day, something that, that drives us or a goal for the day. And uh, I'll use a lot of those quotes to our guys and, and even in our scout reports at Robert Morris uh, to, to, to kind of get our guys going or put a perspective on our days or our games at Robert Morris. So Coach Weber did a great job of, of, of helping me out with that. Uh, those two guys, those two coaches, you know, Coach Martin and Coach Weber, I think on paper they look to be polar opposites. Are they really that different? Nope, Maybe not they at are. all. No, they're not. Don't, don't let anybody lie to you on that, man. <laughs> um, Coach Weber uh, definitely doesn't have the, the physical stature or the face that uh, Frank Martin has, but he's a fiery guy, and obviously defense is, is key for both coaches. So it's not that much difference. That's why we were able to have success uh, transitioning from Frank Martin to Coach Weber because of the similarities weren't that, that big of a difference. Well, let's get into the future here as we're kind of starting to wrap things up on this podcast. Any idea when you'll be back in Manhattan for good? I, I'm sure that the COVID-19 thing has maybe held you back, but any idea when, when you might relocate for good and, and you know, hope to be able to, to get things going um, at the facility? You know, we're, we're obviously in daily talks with me and Coach Weber and the rest of the staff on um, when is uh, the best opportunity for me to, to move in and uh, officially be in Manhattan. Um, right now we're looking at uh, mid, mid-April or possibly May. Um, 
but the real honest truth is nobody knows. I don't know. Um, and that's just paying respect to what's going on throughout the world. You know what I mean? And, and nobody knows what's necessarily going on, what's going to be next. We're just all, uh, staying locked into the news, staying locked into, to what the government is telling us to do and staying locked in what the NCAA and Kansas State is telling us to do. So right now we're kind of playing it day by day, um, especially in terms of me, uh, moving in officially to be in my hand. You know, I can't wait to be back in my hand. Now, two things uh, that I think are kind of hot-button topics with fans right now that, that everybody's curious about when it comes to Shane Southwell, the coach. Uh, one is what can fans expect your recruiting territories to look like? You know, what can they expect from you as a recruiter on the recruiting trail? And, and number two, uh, are you more – you find yourself maybe coaching big men more or do you think you'll be helping out more in the backcourt? when it comes to teaching and game plans? For me, in terms of teaching and game planning, I'll be all over. Um, obviously, we haven't, we haven't discussed that per se yet. Uh, when I was here, Chester Frazier pretty much had the guards. Brad Korn had, like, the wings and the forwards, the smaller forwards, and uh, Coach Larry had the bigs. Uh, we necessarily haven't broke that down yet per se. Um, but, you know, I'm with whatever in terms of the forward guards, big. I was lucky enough to almost kind of play all those different. I, I was going to say, you, you kind of played all of them. So. Yeah, so nothing will kind of be new for me. Um, at Robin Morris, I was uh, I, uh, coached and developed mostly the forwards. Um, so obviously I'm used to that. Uh, but I'll probably be all over in terms of uh, uh, player development with our guys in particular at Kansas State. And that's going to translate also in the recruiting. You know, Kansas State has always done a great job of connecting everywhere in the country, uh, from Texas to, to Florida to D.C. to New York to even Chicago now. So we're going to stay tapped into those areas, and we're going to spread our wings uh, everywhere around the country. And you can expect that for Wildcat fans to, to, to see guys from all over the country, even Utah. You know, shout out to McCall Marlene. So we'll be everywhere, and we're going to continue to build that and build our network and build our web in a, in a recruiting uh, aspect. And you'll get to have your hands on a really young, largely inexperienced group next year. But uh, like you've mentioned already, one that you're not totally unfamiliar with, did you have a chance to see, you know, much of this last year, an opportunity to catch up on film with any of the, you know, the incoming recruits, obviously a star-studded class? Is there any one thing that excites you, any, any big hurdle that you know you know, you guys as a staff are going to have to have to cross. Obviously, with a young team, uh, just teaching the game and teaching um, our principles is something that we're going to have to hone into and be be very have very very be detailed in that and have a lot of focus in that, um, both defensively and offensively. Uh, especially with a young team, but you know, we're lucky enough to come in with a lot of talent. Obviously, to have a top twenty, top fifteen recruiting class and a Across the country is, is big time uh, for Kansas State, Kansas State University, the program. Obviously, uh, I didn't have the opportunity to, to recruit these guys, but you know, me being a true K Stater, I know of them, know who they are, seen the highlights, seen some of their games. I was lucky enough to uh, to be on Nigel Pack visit when he was in on campus. So I know I know his family and know who he is, and we built a relationship a little bit. Uh, so you know. We're going to be close, and we're going to get close, obviously. And um, obviously, I can't wait. I'm so excited.
Yeah, and Dejuan Gordon, obviously you had uh, an early chance to kind of coach him a little bit with Team USA last year, so. Yes, 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 definitely. And me and Dejuan, you know, talked throughout the year. Uh, Dejuan has a lot of promise, a lot of uh, potential. Hopefully we can tap into that this upcoming year. All right, Shane, I want to end with this. And it might be an embarrassing story, but I promise hang in there because I'm going to get, I'm get to the payoff here. <laughs> I still remember, you know, one of the few times we were ever allowed in early to see the end of practice. And maybe Tom Gilbert jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> it was the year of the Big 12 championship. You guys, I think, were about ready to head to Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken, for Big 12 tournament. Oh, we're going at There's a team huddle, man, and Bruce Weber out of nowhere, kicks you out, yes. sends you to the locker room early for – we couldn't hear. We don't know. You walk off. J.O. runs back, but, you know, not too far behind you. He wants to talk to you, and you disappear in the locker room. Fast forward. You are now here, 2020, about to coach with J.O. as a staff member as well, I believe. Bruce Weber is your boss. How far has Shane Southwell come – you know, how amazing is this moment to become the second youngest Big 12 assistant coach currently behind Cunningham and at Oklahoma State? And, you know, just the way that your passion has really kind of matured overall. Yeah, definitely going through a huge maturing process. You know, you guys didn't get to hear it, but what was going on it was that um, I was telling Coach Weber, um, I'm a better coach than you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just me uh, being immature, being a, a brat at the time, and not necessarily understanding the magnitude of the game that we was ready to going to play at Kansas City. And uh, obviously, shout out to J.O. for being in that. I remember every single bit about it. Uh, J.O. was a leader, obviously. That was his senior year. And Gail's done a great job of still being a, a mentor to, to the guys on the, on the team now. And I can't wait. But, you know, that's a, that's one of my really, really good friends. And, you know, Coach Weber's done a great job of bringing some of his players back uh, to provide some of that bridge that we spoke about earlier. So excited to uh, have you back, in Kansas, back at Kansas State for good. Uh, congratulations to you again on this full-time gig and, uh, you know, just a, a lot, just a really bright future ahead for not only this, this team, you know, this program, but obviously your coaching career as well. Uh, Go Powercat wishes you all the best. So thanks again for being part of this podcast, man, and uh, we look forward to getting things rolling hopefully here uh, in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, man. Uh, I couldn't be happier. Obviously, thank you. You know, we've had a, a really good relationship for You've been listening to the PowerCat Sources podcast presented by Blue Mark Energy. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 